Creative Brain Candy by Creators for Creators. Welcome to Bad Gamers Anonymous, a weekly gaming podcast by gamers and for gamers. Retro games, news, reviews, and generally bad opinions brought to you by your hosts, Caden, Austin, and Kat. Hello, and welcome to Bad Gamers Anonymous. This is episode 124. I'm your host, Caden, and with me this week is the reason maple syrup factories are still running, Kat. Kat, how are you doing? Uh, gotta love that maple. <laughs> I assume every Canadian just... You know, every night before bed, just you know, chugs down an entire bottle of uh, Aunt Jemima's maple syrup. Yeah, we're baptized in it too. <laughs> uh, so, what have you been playing this week? Uh, I played the game that I am reviewing, which is Fractured Minds. I also played a lot of Valorant this week. Nice. Yeah, yeah, I still suck. <laughs> uh, yeah, you're better than the randos we had to play with. You know, those last couple of games. It, yeah. Um, yeah, so I mean, I guess I'm getting better. Right. Uh, Practice makes perfect. Right. Although, <laughs> funny enough, what's really funny is I was playing with a bunch of randos. This is when I wasn't playing with you. And someone told me to get good scrub. Like, they knew who I was. Oh, okay. I don't know who it was. But they did not like <laughs> you. <laughs> uh, yeah, gaming communities could be kind of rude like that yeah they were not very and i got like stuck three matches in a row with them so weird yeah uh did you, did you at least like you know get more kills than him did you show him up oh no he was the top <laughs> he was the very very top yeah yeah no yeah uh, but uh true to his name he was salty <laughs> <laughs> oh oh nice what about you what have you been playing um you know the game that i'm reviewing this week um uh, I played that a decent amount, and then uh, played some Valorant with you and uh, my dad um, on Friday. Um, found out that unlike you, I'm the inverse of you when it comes to uh, drinking and shooters. Uh, my my skill seems to decline rather than increase. Yeah, I noticed that, which is weird, because <laughs> mine goes way up. Yeah, like you which know, is weird. A couple hours before, I was over there, you know, hitting headshots left and right. Get some rum in me, and all of a sudden, uh, I can't aim for you know, I can't aim for crap. So it was yesterday, I believe I was playing, and I accidentally clicked uh, not unrated, but the one beside that. Uh, I'm guessing spike rush. Competitive, competitive. Oh yeah, competitive. Yeah. And I didn't realize that I was in competitive, so I warned all the people that I was in there with, and they were all really, really nice about it. Yeah, which com- is nice. Yeah, people who people who play competitive are usually be a little more nicer. Um, just because a lot of the times they're not trying to you know, troll and ru- and whatnot. Yeah, no, they were actually really nice, but they're like, "No, no, you'll be fine, you'll be fine." I'm like, "Okay." How'd you do? Not fine, <laughs> but they were all super nice about it. Well, that's good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so, hey, what's uh, what's going over on, or what's going on over at uh, STD? Uh, I guess the Monday before this releases. 
Uh, so this week I'm telling Logan the story of the DeFeo family murders, which is the start of my two-part thing on the Amityville Whorehouse. Okay. Yeah. So I did the initial murders that started the whole thing. And then my next episode, which will be on the 19th, I want to say, but I'm not 100% sure. Yep. 19th. Nope. Yeah. No, I'm right. 19th. <laughs> <laughs> That one's going to be about all the hauntings. Okay, cool. Yeah. Oh, well, nice, nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, Have you uh, got any news for me? Uh, I, I do, but I do want to mention um, that, you know, while we're you know, on the topic of pimping stuff out, um, next week we will uh, have a special announcement to make. So please be sure to you know, tune in for that because uh, I think you guys are really going to like it. Wait, do I know what it is? I think you do. Do I? Yeah, I, I think so. They don't tell me a lot of things. Oh, who knows? Maybe it'll be a surprise. I like surprises. No, actually, I really don't. <laughs> Even better. Oh, good. <laughs> good. Uh, so uh, the news uh, looked a little shorter than our previous episodes. We've only got um, you know one you know kind of news article just because I want to poke fun at it. Uh, just due to the fact that we're each kind of reviewing our own separate game. So for those who've played Call of Duty Modern Warfare... Um, I'm sure you guys have noticed, but for those who, like me, refuse to play it because it has already demanded too much of too much disk space, disk space um, at this point, it has gotten so large, it takes up more than 200, or it will not fit on a 250 gigabyte drive. Um, so usually that'll be, you know, that'll, that, that total 250 gigabytes will shorten down to about 232, and it takes up more than that. Um, which is, I think, excessive. Um, yeah. So, it, I mean, it takes up so much because of the fact it contains a single-player campaign, cooperative special ops mode, and a constantly updated battle royale, uh, you know, live service. Um, uh, that's in the form of Warzone, which I believe is you know the most popular reason people play this game. Um, console players can choose to uninstall specific modes or, you know, packs in the game to try and lower the size. But even then, I still don't think... I I'm honestly think that they should have put Warzone in a separate game of its own, um, just because I'm pretty sure that's what's taking up the majority of the space. So for people who don't have that much space, stop. It's too big, it won't fit. Play something better. Uh, like Among Us. Yes. <laughs> Among Us is a lot more that. fun. It takes like 30, 30 gigabytes, I think. It is so much fun. Uh, it's, it's a good time. I love it. Based on the one time that I played. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. But yeah, so that's all the news we got. Um, again, the, the article will be linked in the, in the show notes. Um, don't know why the game is so big. I don't think I've... I think back when I played Siege on the regular... Um, Rainbow Six Siege, you know, I think at most, I think I saw it take up 100 gigabytes. And that was, I mean, that was a, a good amount. But I mean, I have a one terabyte hard drive in my system for storing large games like that. So, but I mean, over 250 gigabytes is excessive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Agreed. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, let's start off with you then for, for the dual, dual game review. Dual game review. I think we can come up with a better title than that. 
Mm. Everybody gets one. Sure. (laughs) (laughs) Well, anyways, I chose Fractured Minds. It is a super short game. It took me less than 30 minutes to finish it. And I explored. All right. Yeah. Wow, something so, shorter than Hypnospace. Something shorter than yep. Bad Bad Gods Rising. I didn't think I'd see the day. You mean Old Gods Rising? Or Old Gods Rising, yeah. Yeah, but I didn't have to pay for this one. Plus, I liked it more. <laughs> right. Yeah. At least the puzzles were more puzzly than, than Old Gods Rising were. Those were not puzzles. Those were mazes. Those were puzzles for three-year-olds. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, but this is not a game for three-year-olds. So yeah, it was released on November 14th, 2017, so a while ago. Uh, published by Grip Combat Racing, which is weird because it has nothing to do with racing. Uh, it's available on pretty much all platforms, PS4, Xbox One, Nintendo Switch, iOS, Android, and Microsoft Windows. And it's an RPG puzzle game, kind of. Okay. So Fractured Minds was developed by Emily Mitchell, who at 17 years old found solace through game development. And ended up winning 2017's BAFTA, or BAFTA, uh, Young Games Designers Award. It was inspired by Emily's personal journey through severe anxiety. So it's a mental health-based game. Okay. Seems like we've played a few of those here recently. (laughs) Yeah, because those were my picks. (laughs) My bad. But players will embark on a deep personal and emotional journey through the human psyche exploring thought-provoking chapters, each symbolizing a different aspect uh, challenge associated with mental health. From isolation to anxiety, this game shows how everyday situations um, are with the distorted um, kind of reality because of the mental health. Not good with words today, apparently. (laughs) It's all right. Even though it's in my notes. Right. Can't read. I never learned to read. I never learned to read. (laughs) So the graphics are very simple and basic, but I mean, for this kind of game, I don't really think you need too much depth. Okay. It's more about the message that it's bringing forward than it is the actual game. Right, right. Uh, The music was creepy as hell because it's just eerie and it fit really, really well with the game and immersed you further into it. So that was nice. Nice. The mechanics were very basic. Um, I played on the Xbox. Basically, right joystick, look around. Uh, left joystick to move. RB to run. And A to interact. That's literally it. And then the actual gameplay is split into six chapters. Uh, each one representing a different aspect of mental health. Now, what you take away from each chapter is subjective. Because it's all how... Or, how you choose to interpret it. They're not going to say like, this is what this is representing because it's different to everybody. Right. Which I didn't get at first when I'm playing it. And I'm like, I want to know what this means. I want to know what this means. I still am curious to know what each chapter represented when she was designing the game. But I understand why they did what they did. So chapter one is called The Mundane. Uh, And there's only, yeah, six in total. Basically, uh, is exactly as the title states. It's mundane. You make up, wake up in a room and you find the door is locked and you're tasked with finding a key. 
But as soon as you go to open the door, a bunch of keys appear all over the room, and you don't know which one it is. And every time you pick up a key, it'll say wrong key until you find the right one, which is, well, spoiler, but not spoiler, because it's a 2017 game, behind a picture. But after you get a certain amount of keys, um, I think it's a seven, it kind of cuts to black and white quickly, and there's a bunch of stuff written on the walls. Just creepy. Oh? Yeah, like, I hate you, I'm watching <laughs> you, that kind of stuff. That's weird. It is. It is. But it's, well, what I took away from that chapter was that it's supposed to show you how difficult it is to deal with, like, even the most mundane of tasks, like opening a door. Right. How much effort someone has to go through internally just to open the door. Okay. Uh, chapter two is called Emptiness. So after you leave the bedroom, you go into what looks like a dining room, which is decorated like a birthday party. Like there's a, a pin the tail on the donkey thing on the wall. There's a pinata in the other corner. There's a cake and presents on the table and just other decorations. And you're told to open the presents on the table to find a donkey tail for the pin the tail of the donkey. But you also find a blindfold, but you're not allowed to put the blindfold on until you complete the donkey tail, which took me a while to figure out in all honesty. And I still <laughs> finished it in under 30 minutes because you have to find a pin for the tail. It's not just tail. Okay. So you have to go over to the pinata and then smack it once or twice and then you find a pin. All right. Yeah. Uh, chapter three is called Comfort Zone. So when you exit the dining room birthday party place, you go into what looks like I don't know how to describe it, like a sitting room. It's got like a really comfy looking chair, a fireplace, and then yeah, a it's table a, with a like snow a, globe on it. Yeah, it's like a, a lounge, like a, a study almost. Yeah, for the bougie people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so the snow globe uh, drew my attention immediately because I'm like, why is there a snow globe on a random table when there's only two other things in this room? And... It has uh, two snowmen in it and like a little cottage looking thing. Uh, so it's telling you to get comfortable. So you go over to the chair to find a magnifying glass. And then when you pick it up, you can zoom in on the snow globe. And then you get go inside the snow globe. Okay. So then I look to my left and look to my right and I have two snowmen on either side of me. One's got a happy face, one's got a sad face. The amount of like little details like that, that they put in, there was a lot of them. Okay. Yeah, so you go inside the little cabin, and you're in the exact same room that you were just in. I called it Globeception. Globeception. <laughs> Globeception. Cue the Inception, the duh noise. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but instead of a magnifying glass on the chair, you find the key, which you can use to exit the snow globe. Now, as you're exiting the snow globe, the snowmen are like, don't leave us, stay here. Like, trying to, yeah, just being weird and creepy. Yeah. Which... Again, I can understand how that relates back to mental health. You know, don't get out of bed. It's not worth it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Been there. Pretty much every morning. <laughs> so chapter four is called Paranoia. This one was creepy, I thought. So you, when you leave the snow globe, you're on a street. And there's people that are all the same shape. And they're basically just like that shapes. Like circles. Okay. Yeah. Like like blobs almost? Like what? Like, I guess maybe blobs almost? or No, they're not blobs. They're, they look like people. They're like a circle head. And then they've got like a, like a half circle and then another half circle. Like oh, a okay. body, but the body looks like a dress. Okay. Yeah. Okay. 
But anyways, they're just like walking, like one going north, one going south on one side of the sidewalk, and there's a street, and then across the other side of the street, it's the same thing, like two rows of these people. And then every once in a while, there's a car that'll drive down the road. That looks like a blob with eyes. Oh, it's supposed okay. to be a car. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, there's a crosswalk in the road. So you have to cross the crosswalk to go to the other side of the road where you see kind of like an alley or a hallway and there's chains up on it. And then there's a like a picture clue beside it with symbols. And then you notice that there's symbols on these people's backs. So basically you have to try to find the people with the symbols that match the ones on the sign to unlock the lock so you can go down the hallway. Okay. Yeah. When you huh. get to the end of the hallway, you go to a room where there's like a silhouette of people and one's chained to the table and the other one's on their phone, I think. But there's also an actual table in the room with an alarm clock. Oh. And the alarm clock goes off and then the walls start cracking and everything just falls in on you and you're trapped there this, for like a brief minute in total darkness. This sounds like a weird fever dream. This sounds like an <laughs> LSD trip. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Based on my limited knowledge of LSD. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's the story. I'm sticking to it. Yeah. So then you open your eyes and you're in this like cage looking thing, but you're surrounded by water. Like as far as the eye can see, in the middle of nowhere in this cage that's on top of water and it's got a staircase going down into the water. Of course, you go down into the water and uh, have to go on a couple different platforms and then get to the door. Okay. And you open the door. Then chapter five starts, and it's called Sinking. So basically, everything is, like, underwater looking. Like, there's things floating like they would if they were underwater. Okay. But you're in a room that has a living room and a kitchen and a dining room, like, all in one. And as soon as you move, uh, it lets you know that the, an alarm system has been activated, motion sensor. And then these red circles appear. There's three of them. You can't be touched by the red circle, or you have to restart the whole chapter. Ooh. Yeah. So on the other side of the room, there is a door that you have to enter a code into. We have to find the code, obviously, first. So I went to the TV because it was on and it said change channel. So I went to pick up the remote, but I had to find batteries. So then you go and try to find batteries, put it in the remote, and then it gives you this message that's displayed. But instead of like there being certain letters, they're replaced by numbers, like a zero for an O. There's four numbers. Okay. Code in. Next room. Okay. Mm Mm-hmm. And the final chapter uh, is called Monster. So when you go through that door, you're inside this thing that looks like a broiler room. I don't even know what a broiler room is, but it just sounds right. A, a broiler room? Yeah. It's like, no? Like, like this, is it a boiler room? I mean, I, I guess, yeah, describe. Broiler? Like, what boiler. did the room look like? Um, creepy. <laughs> like, did it look like the, uh, the scene from uh, Nightmare on Elm Street? Uh, like the, the dreamscape that Freddy's in. Yeah, that's a boiler. Kind of. So yeah, that'd probably be a boiler room. Boiler, broiler. Oh, whatever. I threw an extra letter in there. <laughs> Spelling wasn't my strong suit either. <laughs> hey, broil is what you do on the stove, isn't it? Yes. Uh, well, what enough. you do in the oven, I should say. Whatever. Anyways, there's a, a small door, doorway ahead of you that leads to another small room. And inside, from as soon as you walked in the door, you can see that there's like this heart. Like a big heart wrapped in chains. Okay. I'm disappointed that they didn't make it look like a real heart. They just did like a shape of a heart. Yeah, but I mean, it's... I know. I know. Yeah. Simple. Simple graphic. Uh, but yes, yeah, so you walk towards the heart and then you're in that room and then you turn back around and you see this, this creepy monster looking thing 
that to me looks like Slender Man, but if his face was drawn on with a crayon by a five-year-old. Like, <laughs> uneven eyes and a weird smile. But it's still creepy. Anyways, you go towards him, um, and everything inside the boiler room is covered in this, like, black sludge stuff. I'm not sure what that was supposed to represent. Um, but basically, you're supposed to turn these valves. I just kind of followed where the Slender Man guy was in the room, and I just turned the knobs as many times as it took for something to happen. Okay. Because I don't know if there was a method to the madness or if it was timed or how exactly it worked, but I just kept turning them until something happened. And then something did happen, and that room with the heart opens up again. And you go in, and the creepy monster holds up a mirror, and you look into the mirror, and you're the creepy monster. <gasps> yeah. Gasp. I know. Didn't see that one coming at all. <laughs> uh, so I'm curious. And what That oh, was the end of the game. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Um, so I'm curious what, because you said like uh, each, you know, each chapter is essentially supposed to re- you know, represent um, you know, something, uh, an aspect of mental illness. So, I mean, like to you, what, what did each chapter kind of, you know, what aspect did each chapter uh, represent? I don't know. Like, it's, <laughs> it's open to interpretation for everybody. Okay. But, like, a lot of things, I could understand what they were trying to do with it. Like, the whole paranoia. Like, the, the, the creepy people and the blob cars thing. Like, that one, to me, I thought that was schizophrenia. Because, I mean, you know, paranoia. Paranoid, paranoid induced schizophrenia. Okay. That kind of thing. Plus, I mean, there's so many people around. And you're just like, what are they all? They're all watching me. Yeah. Or maybe it's, like, uh, people who freak out and get super anxious when they're in, like, large, cr- like large crowds and whatnot. Social anxiety, yep. yep. I, yeah, that too. Uh, the comfort one, I wasn't really sure. The, the room? I don't know. Maybe. Um, yeah, I don't know about that one. Yeah. The uh, the the birthday party one, I kind of got like you feel alone. Well, yeah, because I think in, in your show notes, that uh, I don't remember if you said it or not, but I think uh, I see in your show notes, you know, you mentioned, you mentioned that you're alone in the party. So maybe it's like, I was, you know, I was gonna be like, oh, because it's like you're throwing a birthday party, but no one, you know, came, and it you know, kind of makes it seem like you know no one would care enough about you to you know come on your birthday and whatnot. Exactly. Yeah. yeah so I mean that one, and then the um, little chapter one I already kind of went into. Yeah, the kind of uh, doing the same thing day in and day out. And... Chapter five, I'm not quite sure. Like maybe feeling like you have to tiptoe around people so you don't like mess up their life. I'm not really sure. Maybe. Maybe. And then, um, well, chapter six, you're the monster. Right. Yeah. That's the big spoiler for the episode. You're the monster. <laughs> uh, so what did you think of the game overall? Uh, overall, the game had a beautiful message, which, you know, was raising awareness on mental health and trying to get a glimpse into the eyes of somebody who suffers from mental health issues. Uh, the graphics were okay, but again, I don't think they need to be anything spectacular for this kind of game because it's supposed to be about the message itself. Okay. Uh, the music was well done. I think it, they did a really good job of showing you someone's inner monologue and how unkind they can be to each other because throughout the entire game, there's little like messages that'll pop up on the bottom of the screen and I took them as being like your inner monologue, but maybe it was voices you hear. I'm not really sure, but they were saying like really unkind things sometimes. So I think they did a really good job at depicting that. Uh, I wish the game had explained the mental health issues a little bit better that were 
represented in each chapter. But I understand again where they're coming from, that it's different for everybody. Not everybody interprets things the same. Right. But I wish that there was something you could find somewhere that explained how the developer thought each, like, what it represented to her. Okay. But I, I couldn't find anything. Uh, overall, it was a really, really good game for being less than 30 minutes long. Good concept. I think, I feel bad saying this, but I think it could have been better done. I mean, I know she was 17 when she did it, and it was for an indie developing competition, and she did a great job. Yeah, because I was about to say, was it like some sort of game jam project or something? Yeah, like it was for a competition that she did it. But it has a really good message behind it, and I think if it were fine-tuned a little bit, it could be a really, really, really great game. So I'm going to give it a 7. Okay. Yeah, that seems fair. Less than 30 minutes that I played. Yeah. Because there were some things (laughs) that I would definitely change, and a lot of things that I would add, just based on my own experiences. But, I mean, it's free on Xbox Game Pass. If you have 30 minutes and you're curious, go try it. Sweet. I may actually go, you know, try and play it. It's, it's, it's a weird one. <laughs> yeah, you have a knack for choosing weird games. Because I'm a weird person. <laughs> you know? You're right. So, yeah, that's my spiel. Alrighty. I wish I could have uh, taken up a little bit more time, but... There wasn't anything else to talk about. I literally talked about every part of the game. Right. Oh, don't worry. I have a helping spiel to go on. Perfect. I love Caden Rants. <laughs> time to bore the time to bore the listener. Uh okay. So if I start I, snoring, wake me up and let me know. Alrighty. So I want to take you guys back in the past a little bit to one of you know my favorite games to just a general play. And you know, one of my favorite in the series, Total War Shogun 2. So this was released March 15th of 2011, developed by Creative Assembly, uh, published by Sega, rest in peace, uh, and is on you know, Windows, um, Mac OS, and Linux. Um, and, Wait, when did Sega die? Um, well, they stopped making game consoles, I think, in the late 90s. Uh, and then okay. I don't think they've been making, you know, publishing games for a while. I can do some quick research on the fly to... Wait, is this a, oh, this is like Total War Troy, isn't it? Yep, same series. (laughs) Why? Uh, Because it's fun. I give you absolute freedom to pick any game you want, and you pick a bad one. Okay, it was between this and Dragon Age 2, and... I've never played I like this more. So I would have I would have loved to hear it. Hey, you've never played this one either. No, but if it's anything like it's 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 counterpart then it's total CRAP. <laughs> uh but yeah, so anyways, moving on. Um it you know, like the other Tor War games, uh it has a turn-based strategy kind of overworld. And then it had, uh, you know, the RTS aspect of the game uh, takes place when you're actually in the battle. Um, so this game takes place during the Ashigaka Shogunate. So this is uh, in the 16th century uh, in feudal Japan. Uh, and you can take control as one of the rival clans. I think there's like 10 total. Um, whose goal is to, you know, move around and conquer Japan and become the next Shogun. 
um, ultimately. What is a shogun? So a shogun is essentially the military government government that was ruling over Japan at this time. So at, at this time, the the emperor of Japan was think of him almost like a figurehead. Uh, so you know he he he'd be there to you know talk to the people and whatnot. But the the real people in power were the shogunate. So they had the actual military backing, backing, yeah, backing. My bad, because they were actually in control of the military at the time. Uh, and so they held all the power. So whatever clan held the the seat of the shogun um, was essentially the clan in power for however long it take for the other clans to get sick of them and revolt. So basically, it's like a talking stick. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. It's the you gotta big have simple stick. explanations for simple minds. Um, but yeah, so uh, in terms of the graphics, um, I mean, again, this game was made in 2011. I still think it looks pretty decent, um, you know, keeping in mind the time. Um, I'm almost positive there are mods out there to adjust the graphics. Um, but with adjusting the graphics, especially if you have like, you know, because you can adjust the unit sizes, uh, you know, have more or less troops appear depending on how capable your PC is. So if you do, you know, uh, up, you know, increase the graphics with mods. Do keep in mind that you may have to lower the unit sizes to keep your PC from catching on fire. Um, and then the music, like so, the ambient music and whatnot is done really well, and I I do like the sound effects. The voice acting can get kind of weird, and some of it is really poorly done. Um, but I don't. I'm not gonna bash it too hard on that. Um, just because you never bash anything you like because the other voice acting (laughs) (laughs) is done decently well and kind of counteracts a few of the bad voice actors when you're talking about bad voice acting in what way Uh, just the the, the delivery delivery. I can't voice act today either (laughs) The delivery of the lines uh, can sometimes be kind of weird. And some of the... I, I don't know how to describe this. Some of the voices just don't match. Um, and sound really racist. Oh, okay. <laughs> so... <laughs> Enough said? Yeah. Um, so, so, again, this is, you know, could be kind of similar to the Total War Saga Troy review. Um, obviously, since it's from the same series, uh, even though this is older and more simpler, uh, it doesn't have as many aspects as that one did because that one had everything in the kitchen sink thrown into it. Um, so your units will range, you know, will, will basically be between melee units, ranged units, and siege units, which are, which are technically ranged units. Uh, the melee units, you know, they'll range from, you know, a, a farmer with a really long spear to a samurai on a horseback with a katana. So you have, you know, your, the people with spears who are really good against cavalry and really good on walls. Um, you have your swordsmen who are really good at up-close combat, um, though don't do as well with cavalry. Um, and then you've obviously got your melee cav, which um, are really good at, you know, getting rid of archer units and, you know, other melee units um, besides anyone with a naginata or... Um, a spear or a uh, Naginata or Yari, which are essentially um, spear units because, you know, a horse and a spear don't really do well against each other. Wait, what? Yeah. Um, uh, in fact, the Yari infantry um, actually have a formation where they just get into a, like a, either two 
or three-line kind of wall and all extend their spears. Uh, and you could use that to catch some cavalry and just absolutely decimate the unit. Um, and then your ranged units, uh, you know, range from archers, uh, your peasant archers, um, to samurai archers, uh, which, you know, the samurai will obviously deal increased damage and have better accuracy. Um, Why? Because they have a title? Because they're armored, they're more experienced, and they have better bows. Oh, okay. It's the difference between farmers kind of making, you know, this thing that works to samurai having it handmade for them and, you know, hand-tailored to their liking. That's about the privilege you're born into. Yes. <laughs> or how long it takes for you to rise to the rank of a samurai. But yeah, so um, you also um, have matchlock infantry. Uh, in fact, there's an entire DLC clan um, that revolves around matchlock infantry uh, who wield muskets. Uh, so around this time, the Dutch have settled in the land and have brought along not only the great word of God, but also their firearms and cannons, um, which match which As was God's will. So while they don't have the range of you know the bow and arrow, um, they definitely hit a lot harder. Um, and I would honestly say that so long as you're not sieging an area, or as long as the, the enemy isn't pelting you with uh, archers, um, they usually will win in a fight. Um, so there's, like I said, there's also siege units, but we don't really talk about those. So the reason why is because in most cases, you're not going to actually full on siege the castle. You're at a huge disadvantage. Your units will usually have to climb the walls or funnel through a really small choke point by running through the gate. Um, all this while you're being pelted with arrows from the people on the walls. And it's just, it's not a fun time. Um, so what you'll normally want to do is you'll normally want to um, just kind of wait them out and force them to attack you on level ground. Um, that way, you know, you're both at more of an equal playing field. Um, now, I will say there's one siege unit that is kind of useful for a specific purpose, and that is fire, like firebomb rockets, I want to say is the name, or something along those lines. Basically, they're units with these, uh, think of them like firework cannons almost. Um, and they're really, really good for dispatching cav and you know large units, but beyond that, they're not good for much else. Um, so I mean, and with the upkeep cost, because they have a pretty high upkeep cost, they you know, they're just not worth it. So siege units are are bad. Is essentially what I'm saying. Okay, except uh, for one because of fire. And even then, I still wouldn't use them because there are other people, you know, I could take, just take a couple of much cheaper units to do the exact same job that one expensive unit would do. But, um, so moving on, there's also um, agents who can help with uh, overall things. So you have monks who can convert provinces to your religion, which is really nice, especially if you're a Christian faction. Um, eliminate Matsuke, uh, which is another agent that I'll get to in a second. Uh, they could decrease the opposing army's morale before a battle, so you know they'll break easier. Um, and then they can also increase the morale of your own troops if you have them overseeing your army. And they can also go and incite revolts and settlements and causing them to you know, just hinder the settlement for a bit before you go capture it. They sound like cult leaders. I mean, they're religious monks, so... Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and we've just lost all of our listeners. Cool. So... <laughs> Uh, ninjas um, 
are assassins and saboteurs. So they are capable of assassinating hand members of the clan's army. That includes generals and daimyos, uh, as well as other agents. Uh, though keep in mind, they are less effective against Metsuke, and I'll get to that uh, here in a second. Uh, they can sabotage buildings as well as uh, the opponent's armies. Uh, sabotaging an army will cause them to not be able to move for or take an action for the next turn. And sabotaging a building will catch it on fire and force them to repair it and hinder their economy for that season. Um, if you put them in charge of your army, they can increase your line of sight for that army. And then if you put them uh, in place to oversee your settlement, they can provide your province an uh, increased line of sight, increased repression, which means you know, happiness goes up, and allows you to detect, detect agents easier. Uh, and then the Metsuke uh, are think of them like the kind of market, um, the, the, the market businessmen and the kind of almost like secret police um, of a settlement. So they bribe other armies to join yours, which could be really helpful uh, if you're just shy of you know, having more troops than your opponent. Uh, they can uh, raise the general's loyalty and lower the risk of your army being bribed. Uh, if you place them to oversee your army, they oversee your town. Um, they increase your tax income. Uh, so you want to put these people in your wealthiest towns to get as much money as possible. And they um, also really good at finding and uh, getting rid of ninjas. Uh, or I should say apprehending ninjas. So, like I said earlier, there's certain agents that are good against others because they have this kind of rock, paper, scissors sort of uh, aspect to them. So monks I like are... the way you spelled scissors, by the way. Yeah, thanks. Welcome. <laughs> um, monks are really effective um, at dealing with Metsuke. Um, Metsuke are really effective at apprehending and dispatching ninjas. And ninjas are really good at assassinating monks. Um, so, there, there's, to rock paper scissors. Yeah. So I mean, yeah. if you if you see a Metsuke, you may want to move your ninja away from him uh, and try and quickly recruit a monk to dispatch the Metsuke, uh, and so on and so forth. Um, so getting into the combat, like I said, you have you know like the the Total War, uh, the other Total War game we reviewed. It's instead of managing small platoons. You're essentially managing small armies uh, that are just a handful of platoons together. What's um, the difference? Well, so like you know, a small platoon will be you know maybe fifteen tops. In this, it's you know in the thousands of troops. Oh, yeah. So it's it's the difference between just a small group of units and an entire army engaging with an equally as large army. Gotcha. Um, yeah. So. Like I said, there's, you know, standard, just kind of you're both on, you know, level with an asterisk, you know, playing ground because, you know, there is differences in terrain. Uh, and then there's also siege, sieges, which is, you know, an opposing army attacking a castle and attempting to murder everyone inside of it. Um, like I said, you never, ever want to siege when you're trying to take a province. Just wait them out and fight them when you have, you know, an, an equal advantage with them. Um, this game also includes naval combat, which I personally am not a fan of. Um, but you know, it is something that you do have to do if you want to get to the late game. So this allows you to recruit uh, boons, which have some range offensive capabilities, but are really good at boarding um, and having a bunch of your units fight. You know the 
little archer boat that you know has maybe 20 and you have 50 plus units on your boon. Uh, there's also matchlock boats, uh, which have less range than archer boats, but again are more effective, similar to the land units. And there's also trade ships, which you will be using to establish trade routes with some surrounding uh, islands that can give you some really, really good resources and help boost your economy. Um, at the be- when you go to choose your clan, at the beginning of it, the, the game will essentially give you each clan's difficulty, ranging from easy to hard. Um, one of my one of the clans I recommend people you know start with is the Shimatsu. They're in a really good you know spot. Uh, they're on the coast, so they can, uh, or they're if they're not on the coast, they're not too far from the coast. Um, and so you know they can quickly go and capture the vital trade routes, especially because one of them I believe is required to get their superior uh, katana samurai units. Um, and I think they have pretty decent soil, which is useful for farming because that means you have plenty of food and your villagers stay happy and don't want to, you know, revolt. Um, the hardest clan I would say in the game is the Hattori. Uh, it's another DLC faction. They revolve primarily around ninjas. Um, they're one of the tiniest clans in the game. They start in an area with infertile soil, so your economy is just absolutely obliterated. Um, they're surrounded by a couple weak provinces, which will eventually be taken over by, or weak clans, I should say, which are eventually taken over by some of the bigger clans. Um, and it's just, it's not a fun time. Um, I have yet to actually do a complete Tory campaign, uh, just because it's, it's very difficult. Uh, they don't have a lot at their disposal besides being able, you know, having really good ninjas. Um, so the, the, the difficulty of the game gives you typically just dictates the early game. Uh, though, like I said, with the Hattori and probably the Otomo, like DLC factions, you can essentially consider that difficulty to carry on throughout the campaign. Um, like I said earlier, uh, if your people are not happy, they will revolt. Uh, you have a little happiness meter. Uh, there's a smiling face. Um, then you're okay. Uh, even with two happiness, you know, you're still fine. There's an angry face. Then you may want to lower taxes, or maybe even exempt them from taxes. Um, you know, maybe throw a Metsuke in there uh, to try, or a monk in there to try and you know raise happiness. Give uh, them a cupcake. Yeah, give them a cupcake, because eventually they will revolt. Uh, I want to say it takes like two to three turns of unhappiness, and you'll get a warning that says, "Hey, your people are about to uh, you know uh, revolt. You need to handle out of this." So. What's that? Said we're out of cupcakes. So, yeah. All right. <laughs> Send more do. cupcakes <laughs> with sprinkles. Of course, obviously. <laughs> Actually, um, I don't like sprinkles on my cupcakes. Oh, sprinkles are tasty. Yeah, but they just they create an unnecessary crunch factor that I don't think belongs in cupcakes. It adds more texture. I don't like it. <laughs> it's like I don't like things on my ice cream. I like I don't like you. what? Ow. <laughs> I'm joking. Hurtful. I wouldn't have been doing this podcast with you for this long if I didn't like you. I'm sensitive, Aubrey. No, sensitive flower. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, enough bashing the Canadian. Um, so money is very important. Um, you have a couple of resources that you'll have to deal with in terms of kind of recruiting or doing stuff. Uh, but again, not near as much as like the Total War uh, Troy game where there's like six different resources you have balanced between. Essentially this game it's money and food are going to be the two biggest ones you have to constantly worry about 
with like a the f- real world. Yeah, right. Uh, and then you know a few others depending on the units that you're trying to recruit. Um, so if you aren't making money, and if your province, if you don't have a positive growth in your in a particular province, then you're losing. So you want to get those numbers up, uh, especially if you want any hope of surviving the late game, because when you when you hit a certain point, once you capture enough provinces, the after after a few provinces, the, you know, you'll get an uh, an update saying, "Hey, the show gets taken eye to you. He's watching you now." Um, and then eventually, both the shogun or the, both the shogunate and the remaining clans will all want to murder you um, because you've grown into too powerful of an entity, and they are now threatened by your uh, by your presence. Um, and like this, the real world, right? <laughs> Uh, so you you definitely want to be thinking in terms of the late game, not in the early game, um, which I made that mistake with my Atoma playthrough, and I was in a bit of a rough situation. Um, like I said Did earlier, get you? Um, let's just say I'm kind of stuck between a rock and a very very large clan that is attacking me. Yeah, you did. <laughs> Uh, so, um, so certain units, especially the heroic units, will require specific buildings and resources to be recruited. Uh, so when you go to create those, re- when you, when you, you know, go to get those ready, make sure you have, you know, you'll get the, you'll have the resources at your disposal, and that by the time you unlock the ability in the tech tree to get that specific unit, um, you'll also be able to, uh, you'll have the building crafted by then to actually be good recruiting that specific that specific unit um speaking of the tech tree so this essentially has two separate trees there's one that's called bushido which is primarily war focused so this will uh you know grant you additional units depending on the path you go um it'll you know give you like i think it increased the uh, amount of people you can have in a particular army uh, and a handful of other buffs that are just primarily focused on, on combat. Um, and then you also have the Way of Chi tree, which focuses primarily on uh, settlement stuff, like uh, increasing the... Like giving you better farms, um, giving you markets, uh, hospitals if you're the Otomo, um, increases or gives certain buffs to your agents, uh, lets you recruit uh, superior Kishiro Ninja if you're the Hattori, uh, which, fun fact, uh, there's a mod out there that uh, fixes the Hattori Kishiro, the Hattori Kishiro Ninja and the superior Hattori Kishiro Ninja. Right? No. I want to say specifically the superior Hattori Kishiro Ninja because there's a bug that Creative Assembly never got around to fixing that essentially made them worse than the standard Kishiro Ninja. Uh, so if you're interested in playing the Hattori, uh, go download that now because it is almost required. Um, and then on the topic of trees, uh, each general and agent also has their specific trees. So you can make them really good at uh, a specific thing. So like if you want your ninja to primarily be focused on being really good at killing daimyos and generals, you know, put all your points in uh, an increase to the success of an assassination. If you want um, them to be really good at sabotaging buildings, you want to put all your stuff into sabotage. Uh, for generals, I would generally say try and get their campaign movement at max because it's really helpful, especially if you're on the mainland where there's a, you know, sometimes there's a lot of walking before you actually get to another province. Um, and then you can kind of go from there if you want to buff their morale, 
if you want to make them be able to stand the ground better and have them more kind of in the middle of the fight, uh, so on and so forth. Um, with this game, there is a multiplayer. Uh, Wait, what? Yeah. We could um, play it together, even though we probably wouldn't. Do. You, yeah, and you'd have to buy the game. Oh, yeah, that too. <laughs> uh, in fact, I tried playing with it, uh, or I tried playing with a buddy of mine uh, earlier tonight, and we couldn't, for some reason, get it to get to connect. I don't know if it's an issue with my game files or if it's an issue with the servers. Uh, but basically, there, it, it's two players only, um, and it allows you to play both in a cooperative, camp- cooperative campaign where you and your friend are both allied with each other, uh, and you're, you're both questing to conquer Japan. However, that does mean that any wars that your buddy gets in, you will also get in, which means that the factions that are allied with you know, your friend's enemy will start to like you less. Uh, my friend Matt and I learned that the hard way. Um, uh, you can also go the opposite route, where you and your friend can play against each other competitively in the head-to-head mode. So this has you guys both starting uh, at war with each other. And it's my preferred way because I don't have to deal with the repercussions of my friend's actions. But at the same time, it also means that I'll be going against an actual human in terms of the battles. And that's not always the most fun. Um, there's also a plethora amount of DLC for this game. Um, like there's a few... Um, additional clans like the Otomo, the Hattori, and I want to say there's one more, but I, if there is, I can't think of it off the top of my head. Um, there's stuff for, you know, incre- there's a, a blood pack to increase the amount of blood that, uh, you know, gore that you experience in the battles. Um, and there's also two DLC, essentially campaigns. There's The Rise of the Samurai, which is a prequel to Shogun 2. Uh, this has you take control of one of three rising clans um, that has you, you know, seeking to take control over Japan. Um, the, the units are a little more simpler, um, and you start off with up like two or three provinces, depending on the clan. And then again, each clan is, doesn't have as specific of a focus as the clans in Shogun 2, but they, they do have a you know, kind of more of overarching focus, I should say. Uh, then there's Fall of the Samurai, which is set uh, in the late 1800s, kind of near the, Civil, the American Civil War. Um, so with the arrival of the American forces, uh, it kind of has Japan's government splitting between, uh, the imperialists who want things to change and a more imperial form of government to take over and the shogunate who want everything to stay traditional and stay the same. Uh, it's a really, really fun mixture of, you know, traditional samurai culture and, you know, for the time, a modernized kind of Western culture kind of blending together. Um, and it's a standalone DLC. So it's like an extra 20 bucks, but I'd honestly say it's definitely worth it. Mm. Call me a skeptic, but I don't know if it's worth it. Right. And who knows? Maybe, maybe it's gone down in price since I last looked. Maybe. Uh, but yeah, I mean, overall, I'd say that, again, this is still one of my favorite games to play. Uh, when I feel in the mood for a strategy game, this is one of my first thoughts uh, when I think of it. Um, and out of this, out of the total war games I've played, this is probably my favorite, both just because I'm a huge fan of, you know, Japanese culture. Um, and the fact that I also just like the simplicity because, you know, compared to total war saga, Troy, again, there's everything in the kitchen sink. It's really easy to get overwhelmed and there's just a lot of stuff in it. And this, it's just simple. It's straightforward. 
and for uh, for for someone as uh, as slow as I am, uh, sometimes it can slow as I am. Yeah, sometimes that can uh, you know kind of help uh, help help things out, help get everything together. Um. So overall, I'd probably give this about an eight out of ten. I think it's still solid even to this day, you know, almost a decade later. I mean, I'll have to take your word for it because I didn't play the game. But based on uh, Total War Troy, you're probably wrong. Uh, no, you're just wrong in hate strategy games. I mean, I do hate strategy games, but I'm not wrong. Uh, I will respect your opinion, even though it is horribly, awfully wrong. I don't respect your opinion because it's stupid and wrong. You're stupid. I'm stupid. Nuh-uh. Uh-huh. Is this, what this, is this what this podcast has devolved into? Telling mom. <laughs> mom said it's my turn on the Xbox. Oh my god, you sound like my kids. <laughs> that hit way too close to home. Uh, now I just need uh. to proceed to bring my roommate in and start fighting with him. That's even funnier because, yeah, my son has the same name as you. Right. Oh, man, that, that one cut me deep. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, you're welcome. That's what I'm here for. Goody. <laughs> uh, alrighty. Well, what are we reviewing next week, Kat? We are going to review Forager. Looks like a lot of fun. Actually, it looks like I've played it. It is actually kind of a lot of fun. <laughs> what, what, what sort of game is it? For what you've played? Um, it's like a mix between, and these are only because these are the games that I've played that I can relate it to, Minecraft and Stardew Valley. Okay. Oh, you, you like mine for resources, like it's like in Minecraft, but uh, got a lot of Stardew Valley kind of type things as well. Okay, but not quite the same storyline. In fact, I don't really know if it has a storyline, not that I've seen. All right, well, I'm interested. It's fun, and it's addicting. So nice. Enjoy. Ah, uh, another farming. Another farming simulator to be addicted to. Um. It gets more complex than that. Okay. Yeah. It's not just farming. It's also building. All right. Well, I'm interested to check it out. And you kill things. And bash on it. I'd say it's an awful game. That's because you're an awful person. I know. Uh, Also, don't forget to stay tuned next week for our big news. Whatever it's going to (laughs) be. Yeah. uh, I think you guys will really enjoy it. And uh, I'm, I'm excited for it. I can't wait. I'm hoping this Me too, week once you know, I remember flies, what by, it is. flies by like a breeze. Yeah, it will be because you're going to be playing Forager. And it's a fun game. Right. Yeah, Forager and wake up and it's going to be next Sunday when we record. Again, you're going to be like, oh my God, how'd that happen? I sure hope not because that means I've slept through the week and I have stuff to do. <laughs> Sucks to be you. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, um, if you'd like to go ahead and join the Creative Brand Katie, uh, Discord server, you could go to batgiversanonymous.com and the link will be in the top right corner. Uh, you can also find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Um, we also have merch if you want to check that out. That's available at uh, creativebrandkatie.com forward slash shop. Uh, and then you can go and find the you know BJ uh, specific merch as well as the other shows in the network and their merch. Listen, I've had ideas for merch that have been denied. 
Yeah. Inappropriate. <laughs> yeah. And I'm bitter about that. So. <laughs> uh, and if, if you like, you can create a petition to then send to our bosses of the network to uh, have Cat's merch ideas be put on the Creative Brain Candy merch site. Yeah, but they don't know what it is, and I'm not allowed to talk about it on here. <laughs> Maybe you can just create your own merch site and have it be Cat's BGA just, merch. Oh, no, it had nothing to do with BGA. It had to do with, with uh, spoiler. Oh, okay. Yeah, it was spoiler specific, but it was funny. So. <laughs> oh. I totally would have worn it. Right. Well, from, from uh, all of us here at Bad Gamers Anonymous, uh, I think that's it for this week. You betcha. Y'all have a good one. Bye. Thank you for listening to Bad Gamers Anonymous. Follow Bad Gamers Anonymous on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Bad Gamers Anonymous podcast, on Instagram at Bad Gamers Anonymous, and on Twitter at, at Bad Gamers Anon. You can contact Bad Gamers Anonymous by emailing badgamerspodcast at gmail.com. Bad Gamers Anonymous is hosted by Kat and Austin, edited by Arturo Garcia, and produced by Jason Mixon and James Geem. <laughs>